Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Um, So I've been sharing from Hebrews, a series entitled, Jesus Makes Everything Better. I love what he did with the temple. He made the temple, he made the dwelling place of God better. Amen? There's a better temple now than before Jesus was here walking on earth. There is a better temple. We are his temple. We are his dwelling place. And we cannot be destroyed. The gates of hell cannot prevail. The Romans cannot tear us down, nor any other government can tear down or silence or diminish the body of Christ. Any, any person, any group of people, any governing body that has tried to do so has failed and ultimately come to nothing. Let's go to Hebrews 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to dive in here. Hebrews chapter 5. My first point is this. Jesus is our great high priest. Amen? And he is a great high priest. Hebrews 5 verse 1, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. You know, as I was kind of thinking about the role of a priest and the role of Jesus, our great high priest, he first of all has been appointed. He was appointed by God, he was anointed by God, he was anointed by his Father, and he also offers gifts. Jesus is the greatest gift giver. I love that here, it says a priest offers gifts and also offers sacrifices. Jesus, being the great high priest, offered the greatest sacrifice of all, a greater sacrifice than any high priest could have ever offered. He offered his own blood. He offered the perfect, the eternal sacrifice. And I love this other adjective here, that they are compassionate. He can have compassion. A priest should be compassionate. You know, and Jesus, as the, as the head pastor, as the chief shepherd, as the bishop, as the overseer of, overseer of our souls, he's extremely compassionate. And he's a great model for any pastor. I think any pastor should be full of compassion. As I look at over the, you know, the, the decades of my father's ministry, my mother's ministry, even look at my wife Heather, they are very compassionate pastors. They are very compassionate people. And as I, I've met people who, who feel that they're ministers, maybe they are ministers, and if they, if they are uncompassionate, it just doesn't sit well with me. You know, as pastors, we should be compassionate. And thank God that Jesus, our great high priest, is full of compassion. You know, that, that's a very deep, a very meaningful, a very spiritual thing. We can actually tap into the compassion of Jesus. There is an anointing to compassion. We can be led by his compassion. And we need to tap into that. Um, I, I was filming with my dad yesterday, and he was talking about John Osteen, Joel Osteen's father. And one of the main ways that he would minister to people, um, and he would flow in, 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 in you know, um, supernatural healing and miracles. And, but the, one of the primary ways that he would flow in that anointing was being led by compassion. He would just, just be led by compassion towards people. When he felt the compassion of God really strong towards someone, he would minister to them, pray to them. And as he did so, miracles would happen. We can be led by that supernatural compassion. Amen. Verse 3, it says, Because of this, he's required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So he was saying Aaron, the priest, and and his lineage, the Levitical priesthood, they also had to be appointed. They have to give 
gave gifts, they have to offer sacrifices, they had to be compassionate, but there were some problems with, with that priesthood. Even of Aaron's four sons that became priests, two of them immediately didn't really work out. So much so that they, they were destroyed. But thank God we have a better priesthood today. And even if your pastor might have issues from time to time, which doesn't happen here, doesn't, certainly doesn't happen for me, we, we all ultimately have a great high priest named Jesus. Amen? And he, he does not have any issues. He's certainly great. All right, let's go on to verse 5 here. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was said to him, I love that, he did not glorify himself. Um, a lot of people today kind of go around and try to appoint themselves to a certain positions. I've even seen it in the church, people just kind of appoint themselves to a certain position. Um, Jesus did not appoint himself to high priest. The Father actually made him high priest when he died and when he specifically when he rose again. After he offered that great sacrifice and after he rose again, God the Father made Jesus high priest. He became the great high priest. The Father appointed him and made him high priest. But it was, said, it, it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, I love this prophetic psalm, Psalm 110. We'll talk about it more um, a, a little down the road here. But you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Later on in Hebrews, we'll talk about the order of Melchizedek, why it is a greater priestly order than the order of Aaron, the Levitical order. Verse 7, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation. Say this, say the author of eternal salvation. Say eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. That's very powerful. Salvation is an eternal thing. It's not just this in and out type of thing that, that many believers kind of feel salvation is. Like you can have it, you can lose it, you can get back. back in, no, it, salvation is so powerful. It's an eternal thing. I believe when you believe on Jesus, he saves you. So you've been saved in the past. You're being saved now presently, and you'll be saved in the future. The moment the Holy Spirit leads you and convicts you of the lordship of Jesus, you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Your spirit is, his spirit comes and dwells in you. Your spirit is changed from dark to light. You are made, you have gone from, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of Jesus. Your spirit has been saved. Your soul is being saved. That's why, that's why there are scriptures that say you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You need to, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Salvation is an ongoing thing in, in, in your soul, in the mind, the will, and the emotions. That's why, that's why you need to take your salvation seriously, and, and, and there, there's a purpose for it presently. It's not just so, so you can just... Sit on your keister and do nothing until you die. Otherwise, the moment you believe on Jesus, you'll just beam up to heaven. 
Now, there, there's a purpose for us here on this earth today. So don't be like the world. You're not of this world. We are in the world, but not of the world. We are ambassadors. We are not citizens of the world. We are citizens of heaven. And, and we're going to be saved future tense as well. God is going to give you a glorified body. He's, amen, eternal salvation unto all who obey, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was this priest who was my righteous king. He was a, a type of Christ. Some people think that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate form of Christ. That's a great debate to have on your own. I've had that debate with Pastor Lawson on who was Melchizedek. Was he just a man or was he Jesus? People see differently about it. It's okay to have differences, and it's actually kind of a fun thing if you're mature enough to have these hypothetical debates that don't quite matter. So I'm not going to debate it now because I want to preach on what really matters tonight. But um, sometime if I have some free time, you have some free time and you want to Hash that out on who Melchizedek really was. We'll know when we get to heaven. You can make your bets now. I bet differently than my dad. We don't bet. I didn't bet him any money, but we'll see when we get to heaven who's right. You don't want to argue with Pastor Lawson too long on theological things, on scriptural things, even on hypothetical things. He has most of the Bible memorized. and uh, I've seen people try to debate him, and it doesn't end up very pretty for them. <laughs> so I'll tell you what Pastor Lawson believes. So you can now just don't, don't go and... He believes that Melchizedek was a man. I actually believe that he was a, a pre-incarnate form of Jesus, and um, there are scriptures and ways to look at it that can kind of support each way. And it doesn't really matter. When you get to heaven, we'll, we'll see who was right, Pastor Aaron or Pastor Lawson. We will see who is the greater underpriest. <laughs> Some people get so tore up over things that don't matter. It's, they even, like, form denominations over things that don't matter. You know, even... You know, whether you, you're supposed to take the bread and the, the, the juice, the wine, separately, or you're supposed to dip it. There's, like, whole, like, Latin words that people have debated over for centuries on. And that doesn't really matter. You're kind of missing the point of communion if, if, if you're getting tore up over things like that. Anyways, the main thing is that Jesus is the great high priest. Amen? You have to look at what really is important. All right, verse 11. This is my next point. Don't become dull. You need to stay sharp. The journey of faith is exciting. It is not dull. Verse 11, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. That, that's a, a little bit of a slap to the face here to whoever is writing to the Hebrews here. You become dull of hearing. I, I have a lot to say. I want to explain a lot of things, but you're not mature enough to hear it. You won't understand it. You won't get it because you become dull of hearing. And this is really important. Why have they become dull of hearing? We don't want to become dull of hearing. I've known believers who have become dull of hearing. I've known people who just say, you know, I, I know it all. 
I'm just going to move on. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be around people. I, I just know everything that there is to know. Uh, you probably don't really know hardly anything. I think you've actually reverted back to babyhood Christianity. And that's what he's kind of talking about here. Some people have reverted back to the bottle. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be at my level, you ought to be be leaders in the body of Christ, you ought to be teachers, you ought to understand things, be ready to, to, to hear these things that are a little harder to explain, but you need someone to teach you again the first principles. Say the first principles. It's really important to go back to the first principles, the foundational teachings of Jesus. He's saying, well, I'm going to remind you again of the first. Someone needs to come back and teach you the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. That, that's, this writer's a little prophetic here. He's just laying it out black and white. He said, you're, you're not even ready for solid food. We got to go back to the basics, go back to the bottom. It's not, you don't want to, we aren't created to go backwards. We are created to go forwards. We are created to grow. We are created to mature as believers. We are created to increase in revelation and in knowledge. You are created to grow. So why are they going back? Why are they, they man, when I look at my two, two-year-old daughter, I, I don't want her to go back to the bottle. I remember one day Heather told me I, I threw away her bottles. She, now, she is a sippy cup girl now. Now, just a couple weeks ago, she took all of her passies, pacifiers. She called them pashi, 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 pashi. She wanted her pashi all the time. And she, she's learning how to talk, but she would always talk with the pashi in her mouth. It's like she constantly had this cigarette in her mouth, this little addiction thing. You couldn't hear what she's saying. And if you, if you have an addiction to, to cigarettes, God loves you, I love you too, that won't send you to hell. You'll just smell like you've been there. But God can deliver you from your pashi. So what Heather did, she felt the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can lead you and guide you in, in major things, even in simple things, even in how to parent your toddler. So the Holy Spirit told her, today is the day. Say, today is the day. Today is the day to grow up. Every day is a good day to mature. Every day is a good day to grow up. Every day is a good day to sharpen your ears, to see with your eyes, to have a heart to understand, to be listening. So the Holy Spirit told Heather, today is the day, get rid of the passion. And the Holy Spirit told her how to do it. There's like a million different techniques of how to, to mother, how to father. But you have to, you have to hear from God yourself. So she felt God tell her to, to take her passy, cut off the tip of it and stick it in her mouth and say, yucky. And that's one of Ada's favorite words is yucky. And she's like, yucky, yucky. She likes to really emphasize the key. And she likes to say it so much, she wants to taste kind of yucky things so she can just say, yucky. So I give her a slice of lemon, and she likes the lemon because she'll suck on it and say, yucky. So Heather gave her this, this passion. She knew something was wrong. And she said, yucky. And Ada said, yucky. And they, they went over to the trash, and she said, throw it away. And, and she made Ada throw it away, and she, she threw it away, and she, just, she went, ooh, like that. But I said, no, yucky. And whenever she said, pashi, pashi, she said, no, it's in the trash. She threw it in the trash. It's gone. Yucky. And she says, yucky, yucky. And, and she broke that habit, that addiction, just like that. Amen? 
And she's matured. But, but Ada, we're not going to revert back to the Pashi. You know, a few days later, um, Ada, spent, Ada and Fisher spent the night with my parents. And my mom's a little worried. Because we just took the Pashi away. And like, what if... We said, you're not bringing back the Pashi. She has matured. She's not going back. Say, I'm not going back. I'm moving ahead. I'm here to say to you, my past is over in you. Well, things have been made new. It's a good song. We're moving forward, but he's saying these people he's writing to, they have, they have moved backwards. They've become dull of hearing. Why has this happened? Here in verse 13, they have become unskilled in the word of right. They have gone back to legalism. Jesus has not been enough. The focus is now not on Jesus. The focus is on us. That's why all throughout Hebrews, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is better. He's a better high priest. Don't go back. The new covenant, it is better. It has, it's a better covenant upon better promises. Don't go back. Keep the focus on Jesus. Don't go back to legalism. Keep the focus on him. Don't look at yourself. If you're looking at yourself before, and you say, well, this is why I can come before God. No, you're missing the point. You are unskilled in the word of righteousness. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. You become dull by going back to legalism. Heather recently got a book by a famous Christian minister, and it's very legalistic. And she just wanted to learn, maybe there's some, some good things in here I can take away, but it's so full of legalism, she couldn't read it anymore. Yucky! <laughs> Sometimes things are just too yucky. You know, Heather and I, well, my parents, you know, watched the kids, we went on a date, went to a nice restaurant, and... Um, Asked the waiter for the best, you know, what's the best thing on this menu? They had a huge menu. He told me what to get, and, and it was this nice um, salmon. The salmon was very nice, but on the rice, the rice was not fully cooked. Yucky! I told him, this is, I can't, I can't even eat this. I can't even stomach this rice. I need, I, need a, I need a better dish upon better, you know, rice. Just can't even eat it. So just don't, don't go back. These people are going back because they were unskilled in the word. They didn't understand what it meant to be truly righteous. You are only made right by faith in Jesus, period. If you try to add your works to it, it, it does yucky. Some of you have, have such, a, such a love for, for, for solid food. That's why you come to Karis Christian Center. But you don't want to go back to things that are yucky. Solid food belongs to those, verse 14, who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use, that they use their reason. You need to use your reasoning, skills. Amen? By reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There's a lot of so-called believers today that are so immature that they can't even distinguish between good and evil. I was talking to a new person at this church. He, he, he was new to Karis Christian Center, and he just asked me, I don't think he's really been to a church like this before. And he said, I was driving around, you know, downtown, I saw all these churches with rainbow flags. Why, why do they do that? I said, they are so dull. They are so whacked out that they cannot discern between good and evil. 
Are they really born again? I, I don't know. Sometimes people are so immature, so yucky, it's hard to tell. Only God knows, and I'm glad I, I, don't, I don't really have to know. God is the one that knows. He's the one that says yes or no. Everyone will die, and then you will, you will stand before God. And he, he, will, he will say, you were just very immature, and you missed out on a lot of good things. Or, or they, they just didn't even know Jesus at all. By reason of use. Amen. Let's go on here. Um, chapter 6, verse 1. You are created to grow. God wants you to grow. He wants you to, to move forward, to increase, to mature. You were created to grow. Let's look at this here. Um, Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. So we're supposed to go in a certain direction. We're supposed to, to just keep moving in a certain direction to perfection, to Jesus, to mature, to be like him. We're not supposed to go back. And I love, I love that he just explains here in the next few verses, um, what, here in the New King James, it, it says the elementary principles of Christ. In the King James, this is called the, the principles of the doctrine of Christ. I love that, the principles of the doctrine of Christ. We are to mature as believers. You know, uh, one, one way I can tell by how mature someone is is by how they pray. And one um, just powerful prayer that I think we should all pray for ourselves um, as believers is the Ephesians 1 prayer. Let's turn there really quick. A prayer should be modeled after this prayer. Ephesians 1, verse 15. I believe this is a mature prayer for believers, and I just want to go here really quick. Ephesians 1, verse 15. We'll read a few verses here through verse 20. So here Paul writes, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This is a great prayer to pray for yourself, to pray for your loved ones, to pray for, for your church, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. God, give me that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. I want to grow in wisdom. I want to grow in revelation. I want to grow in my relationship, in my knowledge with you. I want my understanding to be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I want to know the riches of the glory. I want to know what is mine. I want to, to obtain his inheritance because I am a saint. These all help me. I'm just an old, poor, worthless, worm, sinner. That, that is not a, that is a, a yucky prayer. You aren't to come to God as a beggar. You are to come to God as a child. You are to come boldly to the throne. Right? Verse 19, I want to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power. Say his power. We should want to experience the exceeding greatness of his power. I love preaching the Bible because it is full, the word of God is full of his power. 
I don't preach, you know, church at the movies. Let's watch movies and talk about the movies. And that's not powerful. That's weak. That's beggarly. That's stupid. That is yucky. Churches that don't desire the power of God. Yucky. Why do so many people love those churches? Because there's a lot of immature baby Christians out there. A lot, of, a lot of little saplings that produce no real fruit. I want to know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That is a powerful prayer right there. I want his resurrection power to be evident in my life, to be evident in my ministry to other people. That is how we are to pray. That is how we are to to move forward as believers. Let's go back to Hebrews 6. And we'll talk about some of these um, principles of the doctrine of Christ. And he lays out six of them. Six of them here. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance. Say repentance. That's the first doctrine of Christ here, is the doctrine of repentance. Jesus preached repentance. If Jesus preached repentance, the church should preach it today. That you need a Savior. You need to repent. I think here he's talking about the repentance, you know, he says, from dead works that lead to death. This could be, this could be sin, right? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Dead works, sin leads to death. Also, dead works, thinking that you can be righteous on your own through your own deeds. That is dead works as well. You need to repent from that. You need to repent from legalism. Some people, and really, that, that's, that's the one sin that will keep you from going to heaven is the sin of not believing on Jesus, not trusting on Jesus. But that, this first principle of the doctrine of Christ's repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Say faith toward God. That is the second doctrine of Christ. Faith toward God. Jesus said, have faith in God. I've been around some believers who are so yucky that you mention faith and they kind of get squeamish. Like, oh, you're one of those faith people. This is, this is foundational. I don't, I don't know what you know, bottle you're sucking on. I don't even know if this is the right kind of milk you're sucking on. But faith is pretty foundational. Jesus preached faith. Jesus taught faith. Jesus lived by faith. He demonstrated faith. And we as believers have to have a life of faith. The just shall live by faith. Faith toward God. So that's the second uh, doctrine there. The third one, the doctrine of baptisms. Say the doctrine of baptisms. There's a reason why this is plural. Do you see the S there? It makes it plural. So it means there's more than one. Can you tell me at least one baptism? Water. Can you tell me another one? Baptism into the body of Christ. There's a baptism into the body of Christ. There's also a baptism of fire, a baptism into the Holy Ghost. And that they're different baptisms. It's plural. 
Why are they different? Because they, they are different experiences. They are different. Baptism means to be immersed into. So there, there are different immersions. So, so water baptism, what are you being immersed into? Water. You're being immersed into water. Who is immersing you into water? Pastor Lawson? Pastor, another believer. Another believer. It's, you're being baptized into water by a believer. The baptism, when you become saved, when you believe on Jesus, what are you being baptized into? You're being baptized into one body, the body of Jesus Christ. You're being baptized into the, the church, the, the, the body of believers. Does that make sense? You're, baptized, you're being placed into his temple. When I believed on Jesus, you know, Aaron, Aaron was placed into somewhere into that temple of Jesus. I think I hopefully I got a good spot where, where I was placed. It's a, spirit, it's a spiritual baptism. You're baptized into the, the body of Christ. Who, who baptizes you in to the body of Christ? You're baptized into Jesus, but who, who, who is involved with the work of salvation? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, by one spirit, you're baptized into that body. The Holy Spirit is present in the work of salvation. His presence is there. He works on your heart. He works, and, and he's the one that baptizes you. The, the Spirit of Christ baptizes you into the body of believers. Being baptized into the Holy Ghost. And we say with the evidence of speaking in tongues, because when we see it happen in the Bible, people spoke with tongues. When people were baptized in the Holy Ghost, there was, there was something else notable that would happen. They, they, would, they would speak in tongues. Who baptizes you into the Holy Ghost? Jesus does. Jesus, Jesus after, after he was, actually, at, at, it was in, at the, the Last Supper when he's preaching to his disciples in John 13, 14, 15, 16, he talked a lot about the Holy Spirit, and he said, it's better for me to go. That way I can send the Holy Spirit. He's saying this, the, the Holy Spirit is so important. It's better for me to go. That way I can send him. And, it, and Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the, pro, the promise. Not just a promise, but the promise from the Father. So Jesus is the one. And, and John the Baptist said, you know, there, there's one coming after me who's greater, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus is the one that baptizes us into the Holy Spirit. Into the, it's an empowering baptism. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's Jesus actually thought it was such a big deal. He, he told his disciples, he told them to go into all the world, but there's one thing they had to wait for. You know, wait till you have enough partners, wait till you have prayed long enough, wait till you fasted long enough, wait till you've, you know, read, read the, the Torah through enough time, wait till, no, wait till you receive the promise. Wait till you receive, it was such a big deal. The doctrine of baptisms. That was the third one. The fourth doctrine here of Jesus Christ, of laying on of hands. Laying on of hands. We lay on the hands here at Caris Christian Center. If you come up for prayer, there's a good chance that a prayer minister will lay their hands on you, right? If we ordain someone to, to be a minister of the gospel, we lay hands on them. You know, in, in Acts, oftentimes they would lay hands on people and they'd receive 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's something powerful that, about an impartation that occurs with laying on of hands. The fifth one here. The fifth one here. The doctrine of laying on of hands of resurrection of the dead. I love this. This is a major doctrine of Jesus. Resurrection from the dead. My dad, after we first moved to Colorado Springs, he went to a funeral for a neighbor. And at this funeral, the minister, probably one of these ministers at those churches that, that, that waved the gay flag, says, we don't really know what happens when you die. No one really knows if there's a heaven. No one really knows. Yucky. This is foundational. Resurrection from the dead. Everyone will be resurrected. Every single person who has lived and breathed, every single person on the face of the earth will be resurrected. There is a part of every single person that is eternal. That is why no one here on this earth likes death. That is why no one here on the earth, even if they're the most adamant atheist, if someone close to them dies, they are not, something in them, it grieves them. Because there's something in, in us that is eternal. Our spirit is eternal. It will live forever. Everyone will be resurrected either to eternal life, if you believed on Jesus, if you've rejected Jesus, you'll be resurrected unto eternal damnation. Part of you is indestructible. Part of you will exist forever. When you die, you don't just cease to exist. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. This is a, a foundational doctrine, the resurrection from the dead, and this one, of eternal judgment. There, there, is, there is an eternal destination. God wants you to go to heaven. If you don't go there, there is one other option. It's not a better option. The, the Google reviews are terrible. It's called hell. Once you go there, you can, you can never leave. It's like the, the words from Hotel California. There is a great divide. Jesus even talked about it. He, he told parables about it. And it, it's eternal. There, there's no, there's no middle, middle place called purgatory or whatever where you can still, hopefully, if people pray enough or you, people give enough money on your behalf or whatever. No, no. You, when you die, it, it's, it's eternity. That's why, that's why we give altar calls here at church. We want people to, to go to the better place. God wants people to go there. That's why he did anything he could do. Anything he could do to get people to heaven. You know, my, my dad, his two prim, primary mentors in his life, you know, Lester Sumrall and Andrew Almack. Lester Sumrall was a great evangelist. My dad said the, the, the greatest message he ever heard Lester Sumrall preach was a message called roadblocks on the way to hell. God has placed roadblocks on the way to hell for everyone. I believe that every single person on the face of the earth, God would do anything to, to, to stop them from going to that worst place. He wants everyone to go to heaven. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. So those are the six principles of the doctrine of Christ. 
And this we will do if God permits. Really, you're not going to go on to greater things. You're not going to mature more if you don't even have these foundational things figured out. That's what he's saying. You have to get a permit before you go on to the next thing. You know, when we finished out this building, you have to get your permit before we can have people move in here. If you want to move ahead, if you want to mature, you got to you got to have some foundational things figured out. Amen? All right, let's go on here. Verse um, 4 through 6. I'm not going to spend too much time on these because this is something you can, again, debate with Pastor Lawson. Many people love to use these next three verses with a great question. Can you lose your salvation? And this is one thing I'm going to say tonight, definitively, is that you cannot go in and out, in and out, in and out of salvation. There, there are believers who think you can just go in, out, in, out, and you can get born again and again and again and again. No, you can get born again one time. And then if the sacrifice of Jesus wasn't enough for you, Jesus isn't going to die again. He's not going to come down and die on the cross again. Right? So, so you can't go in and out, in and out of salvation. So you're either just saved and you're eternally saved or you're saved and it's, it's, it's extremely, extremely, extremely difficult to lose your salvation. So it's one of those two. And I, I've read different you know, commentaries on this. Uh, all, you know, Pastor Lawson thinks it is possible to lose your salvation, but it is extremely, extremely, extremely difficult to do so. I've met, I've met a lot of believers who are very worried about this in and out type of thing. If you're even worried about, you, you, you are not, you are, you are saved. If that's a concern to you, you are saved. Also, I, you know, people have asked me this question too, you know, if someone commits suicide, will that send them to hell? Is that a sin? That, no. The only sin that will send you to, to hell is the sin of not believing on Jesus. And, and I, I actually love these next verses because he talks about some marks of maturity. He gives five marks of maturity. So with Pastor Lawson, you can, you can debate. You know, I, I read Andrew, Andrew Wamek's commentary on this. He basically said that he, he thinks that you cannot lose your salvation. I asked Heather, and he said, well, she thought when she heard him teach at school that, that he said that someone can lose their salvation. So maybe... Someone like my dad. It's, it's extremely, extremely, extremely difficult. And, and I think someone could believe that. But here, here are five marks of maturity that are being mentioned here. I'm going to give you a little bit on my take. I don't, if you want to argue this just for the sake of arguing, you can. We can get to heaven and ask God. But I, I believe it is extremely, extremely, extremely difficult to lose your salvation. And that's kind of what they're saying here. That, that if, if, if you are mature and have experienced these things, these are marks of maturity here. For those who were once enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, to renew them again to repent. He's saying you can't be born again again. If they fall away, if they become reprobate, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. So here's, here's these five marks of maturity that you've been enlightened. The Holy Spirit has revealed Jesus to you. Secondly, you've tasted the heavenly gift. gift. I was talking about salvation. You have tasted the heavenly gift. If you've experienced salvation, why would you want to go eat something that's yucky? Number three, you, you have been partakers of the Holy Spirit. You've received the gift of baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've tasted the good word of God. You've received 
powerful revelation from, from the, the Bible, from the Word of God itself. You've tasted the powers of the age to come. You've flowed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You've experienced God's supernatural power manifest in and flow through you. If, if you've experienced that level of God's goodness, that level of His power, that level of His love, how, how would it be possible to, to throw that away and say, God, you're not my father. Devil, you're my father. You're going to say, well, well there, there are some very immature believers out there. There are some people who, who don't really have much maturity, much evidence of Christ in their life. What do you say about that, Pastor Aaron? Well, it's not up to me to decide who's saved and who's not saved. And I'm, I'm going to give you, give you this example. Some people are, are extremely immature. And they're, they're, they're believers, but they're so immature, they, they can't really fall away, become reprobate, because they, they, just, they just don't know what they're doing. Like Ada, she is, she is a very immature human being. She is two and a half years old. Sometimes she gets mad at mama. She doesn't ever get mad at dada. I kind of let her do whatever she wants. But sometimes she gets mad at mama. She's even thrown things. She's thrown her sippy cup at mama. And in her little immature heart, she might say, you're not my mama. But, but she's so immature that she can't just leave Heather. She can't, you know, if she went to a court of law and said, I want to emancipate from my mama. She is yucky. Throw my sippy cup at her. Any reasonable judge would not emancipate Ada from from me and from her because she's so immature. If a judge thought, well, well, maybe she's 16, 17, she's very, she's mature enough to know what she's doing. But, but there, there's a lot of believers who are extremely immature. So Ada, she can't, she can't, and I don't think Ada will ever announce me as her father. I think as she grows and matures and understands that I am such a good, good father, that I am perfect in all of my ways. She would never say, I want a different father. I, I'm, you're no longer my father. Right? It's so hard to imagine someone who's experienced this level of God's goodness that would say, God, you're not my father. Satan is my father. It's just, I, I, can't, I can't even hardly imagine that. Some people who think it's very easy to just flip-flop in and out of salvation. Um, this question I have for you. Peter, look at Peter. On the night that Jesus was taken before Pilate, Peter blasphemed Jesus three times. The third time he cussed and swore, said, I don't even know him. Hypothetically, this is a Wednesday night, I can, I can give you hypotheticals. If Peter just dropped dead, had a massive heart attack, dropped dead, right after he renounced Jesus the third time, the cock crows and, Jesus, and Peter just dropped dead, would he have gone to hell? No. I think not. I, I, I would bet a lot, a lot, a lot of money on that. If you want to bet against me, we'll, we'll bet our mansions in heaven on it. You can give me your mansion if you think that Peter would have gone to hell. You'll lose your mansion to me. Now, Peter, Peter was in fear at that moment. Fear often breeds immaturity. So what, like I said, what about, what about Christians? It's just very hard to tell. There's not much fruit. There's not much evidence. What about people who say they're Christian? So, so, so one of two things. 
they are either a sapling, they are like just barely sticking out of the ground, or they are a weed. They, they, they claim to be Christian, but they are not. There, there are many people who claim to be Christian, but are not. And how can you tell? It's not up to us to tell. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I love gardening. I, um, I just walked by one of my favorite flower beds. And um, I saw something sticking out of the ground. And I, I uh, just at first glance, I thought it was a weed sticking up out of the ground. But then I remembered that's actually a rose bush. It's my favorite rose bush. I have three rose bushes. That's my favorite one. It's, it's, it's gotten the biggest over the years. It, it, um, it produces the most blooms. So, but when you first seeing it stick out of the ground, it could be a weed. It could be a two-inch little thorny briar weed that I need to yank out of there before it takes over that flower box. But I know what it is. Why do I know what it is? Even though it's immature right now, it doesn't have any flowers, it just looks like a weed. It's hard to tell if it's a Christian or a non-Christian. Why do I know that, it, that, it, that, that it's a sapling? Because I'm the one who planted it there. God knows. He knows what's in your DNA. He knows if you've been planted in his house. He's the one who decides. He is, does that make sense? And even, even, even believers who are, are pretty mature, they can have, you know, like even my rose bushes. Rose bushes to, to really make, there, there is an art to pruning rose bushes. There's an art to making them flower and get the biggest, most beautiful blossoms. There, there, there are lengthy discussions and blogs about how to prune rose bushes. Even on the best rose bush, it, it has to be pruned. There are branches that, that are too immature to produce a flower. So there might, there might be a believer, like, like Peter was a believer, but he had a branch that was immature. He was afraid, right? He was immature. He dealt with fear. Something changed 50 days later. And he, he became more, it became a little bit more evident in his life. He had a little more fruit in his life. Amen? But even after receiving the Holy Spirit, Peter still dealt with some immaturity. You know, Paul even called him out in Galatians 2, 11 through 14 on, on some immaturity issues. So even, even, even people who've experienced these five marks of maturity here in Hebrews 6 can have moments of immaturity. You know, the thing that Peter did... Um, Paul writes about it. It's in scripture, which is kind of, sorry, Peter. Paul writes this in Galatians 2, 11 through 14. When Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. He was still on the way to maturity, but he still had some things, some immaturity issues. If you think you're perfect, you're not. I guarantee any, any person in this room will have a moment of immaturity. But I know a good gardener. If you trust him, he can, he can correct you and, and help you become more productive and more beautiful. He was to be blamed for before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So at, at that time, it was, it was customary for Jews to not eat with Gentiles. And, G and Peter would hang out with Gentiles, but when Jews were around, he wouldn't do it. He, he uh, feared those of the circumcision. He, he still dealt with a little bit of fear, a fear of man. He, he 
feared those who were the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Peter, I saw you ate bacon this morning. Now you're acting like you keep kosher and you're making all these Gentiles keep kosher. That's not right. I'm here with my shears. There's some pruning to be done in your life, Peter. I'm going to ask to see that instant replay of that conversation between Peter and Paul. I'm going to read a few more verses. We're not going to finish out the entire chapter here, but verse 7 through 9, I want to close with these uh, verses right here. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. Just keep going towards God. Amen. Keep moving forward towards God. Keep maturing. Blessing comes from God. But if, but if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. He's saying, you might just look like a sapling. You might, it might be hard to tell if you are a weed or if you're a rosebush. God knows, but I want you to grow. I want you to mature. I want you to have these blossoms that accompany salvation. Don't be a weed. You're not a weed. I believe that you are a sapling. I believe that you are born again. I believe Jesus is in you. So, so, so you should have, you should mature. You should have these things that accompany salvation that we speak in this manner. Amen. So this is my conclusion for you tonight. When Jesus rose again, he became the author of, say this, eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. He became our great high priest. Keep trusting in him. Amen. Because he makes everything better. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.